Hello and welcome to the Permanent Good Podcast, a podcast that's part movie club, part improv comedy. My name is Craig Wells, a.k.a. Permanent Handle. And I'm Alex Good, a.k.a. Alex Good. I need to talk about a tragedy that happened to me. Okay. Um, so I've been playing Baldur's Gate 3, all right? Yep. And Baldur's Gate 3 is one of those games that, like, you need to have your focus turned up to 11. Like, it is a very engaging game, and you have to, like... It's not like, it's like, oh, difficult puzzles. It's like, it's just so involved. There are a bunch of mechanics. Like, it's D&D. Like, you have to yeah. be involved. There's no mm-hmm. passively playing this game, which is not a complaint. That's not that's not what I'm complaining about. Um, what I'm complaining about is, uh, I fell for a trap and the consequences were severe. I um, was at this goblin camp and... I was talking to like this goblin priestess and she's like, Hey, you're sick. And I'm like, yeah, I am sick. Can you help me out? And she's like, yeah, but, uh, have all your party members leave. I don't want anybody watching this process. And I'm like, okay, everyone go back to camp. And, um, <laughs> and then she was like, okay, now before I perform this procedure, drink this. And I was like, Okay, whatever you say, ma'am. <laughs> and then I drank it, and then combat started, and she one-shot me. And I oh had to God. and I had to reload a previous save, which is fine. That's what happens when things like that happen. Except uh, I lost about 40 minutes of progress because that game doesn't autosave for shit. Um, oh, no, I'm used dude. To, <laughs> I, I'm used to, like, Bethesda autosaves where every time you talk to some, every time you turn the camera, the game's like, autosaved, we got you. And I'm like, thanks, I appreciate it. And when I realized how far back I went, I'm just like, all the roles that I did, all the characters I talked to, all the little quests I started and updated, and I'm like, I don't want to do that again. I and take listen, a break and walk away when that happens. I'm like, ah, oh, this is yeah. another day. Uh-huh. I have to be reinterested in this game. And so that was all fine and dandy when I was like 14 because I had nothing better to do. Yeah. Um, I got a few more responsibilities these days that like I don't know how much time I'm willing to put into a game if I could lose it all off of like one bad sequence of choices. It almost makes you think. Should I set a timer on my phone for 15 minutes and manually save every time the timer goes off? It really gets to that point. It, it like every time like a combat encounter starts, I immediately think, when was the last time I saved? <laughs> oh no. Oh no. <laughs> um but I when that happened, I didn't have like an existential crisis, but it was definitely like a mood changer where I'm like Mhm. I really have to analyze how much time I'm putting into this and not in like a boring adult way where I'm like, I'm wasting my time playing video games. It's in a much lamer adult kind of way, which is I have 4,000 movies and TV shows that I want to watch. Am I really going to like waste my time playing this game that's beating me down when I could be enjoying something that's still new and just not this? Dude, I go through that all the time. Where I have I have a list of movies I should watch, like critically acclaimed. Everyone's talked about them. Like in front of me, I have Boogie Nights. I know that movies and uh, like Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Twister 
and movies I'm not really interested in, but like they're in the zeitgeist. Everybody talks about them. I should watch those movies because like we got to be well-rounded for the podcast. Like we got to know what we're talking about. Or should I just watch trash TV or like in my trash, trash movie? I mean, like I know it's not going to be very good. Like, it's not going to be a seven or higher. It's not critically acclaimed. It's going to be easy to watch. And we're going to talk about this more uh, on Moonlighting. But for me, it's just like, I can watch something I'm supposed to watch, or I can watch John Wick 4. So I, um, sometimes you need so, the palate cleanser. Yeah. So I had an exa- uh, something like this happen where I there's a new movie on Netflix called May December that has yep. Natalie Portman in it and uh-huh. Julianne Moore. People are raving about it. It's very... Um, not controversial, but it's divisive. People have a lot to say about it. And like, you know, it's early contenders for Oscar stuff. And I started it, made like, got like five minutes in and I'm like, ah, never mind. And then I started watching Friends. Yeah, dude. So (laughs) I had another thing happen. Like I, especially since it's the holiday season, I started White Christmas which came out in the 50s, and I I think it's black and white. Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but it's, like, obviously dated, and I'm Hold like... Hold on. Wait. Time out. You, so you started this movie, and you don't remember if it's in color or not? I My gut says it's definitely in color. <laughs> it's definitely not in color, I mean. My gut says it's definitely not in color. But once I said that, I'm like, that can't be right, because I remember colors. So I think my brain goes, it's in the 50s, it doesn't have color, and then I watched it, I'm like, oh... So, Surprise, it has colors. But I think I am misremembering it. White Christmas is, in fact, in color. Yeah, I that's what I'm say. saying. And I'm like, <laughs> I think I remember colors. But, like, it's got Bing Crosby in it. It's You should watch this movie. It's like Miracle on 31st Street. It's like, you have to watch it. I've never seen it before. I got 20 minutes in, realized my family wasn't paying attention. I'm like, well, I'm not going to watch this. I'm like, I'll just watch Leo for the third time, you know? I don't mean to pick you apart like this. It's just very funny. I love how I could tell you couldn't remember if it was Miracle on 31st Street or Miracle on 34th Street. I'm so, so dude, how did you pick up on that? Because <laughs> yeah, I was like Miracle on 31st Street and I, I paused a little bit. I'm like, I don't even know that's the right numbers. <laughs> I'm going to be real with you. I'm like, are those even the right numbers? It sounded it right. Miracle on 34th Street, which I also didn't know, but I'm like. He said that kind of weird. I got to look this up. <laughs> Everyone rewind 30 seconds and listen to Alex very clearly go, Miracle on 31st Street. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I said, I'm like, that sounded a little fishy. Uh, and we if we ever put out a movie show, together, uh, Craig, numbers oh, are not yeah? going to be a part of it. Like Fahrenheit 451. It's a miracle <laughs> I got that right. It could not. It might not be 451. I'm okay. pretty sure. Let me... Let me make a uh, let, let's come to a compromise. It has to be a single number. Like it could be like first. Yeah, or like second, district nine. third. Yeah, we can do that. Cause I'm also thinking of like what's that George Orwell 1984. 84. Dude, I guy is that. crazy. Hold on, <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> I'm sorry, I did not know. I genuinely didn't know that. Like numbered titles through you for such a loop like this this is i am making a discovery in this i'm learning something new about one of my best friends of a decade this yeah is, this I'm, is different than fantastic four 
It's yeah. a random freaking number. And I'm just supposed to remember all four digits. <laughs> Give me a break. And then 31st Street. Card pin most by the way, the time. that's arbitrary. Miracle on 34th Street, 31st Street. Doesn't matter. Does not matter. <laughs> okay, so on this hypothetical movie we make, if we can't put a number in the title, can we at least make it obnoxious like Alexander in the very bad, no good, horrible, no, very bad day? Absolutely not, dude. <laughs> absolutely not. And it has uh, it can't have like dude, I just got freaking PTSD because I thought I'm like nightmare is it Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the thirteenth? I get those confused all the time. But like also, like it can't have two names. Like live, die, repeat, slash, edge of tomorrow. That Unacceptable. Unacceptable. Yeah. One name. Also, it's got to have the in it. I hate names where like you like Pride and Prejudice is just Pride and Prejudice, not the Pride and Prejudice. Prejudice. Everyone, um, let's go watch the Barbie. Everyone, it's, it's let's got, watch the Oppenheimer. It's Kingsman, not the Kingsman. Like if the the makes sense, it's going in. If it doesn't make sense, that's different. Like, The Dark Knight. But it feels like, I don't know, Top Gun. It doesn't need to be The Top Gun. But, like, actually, I don't know how I feel about that. Hey, Maybe. can I blow your mind? Sure. So, the first movie is Kingsman. The prequel movie is The King's Man. Yeah. Hate that, bro. <laughs> hate that. We were just talking about this because I think I said it on the podcast. It was. I don't know if I said The Enemy or it was actually Enemy or it was I said... Oh, I said the oh, eighth yeah, grade. Yeah, yeah. You're like, it's actually just yeah. eighth grade. I'm like, so dumb. <laughs> just add the. When we make a movie, Craig, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this. It's gonna be a long meeting, and then after the meeting's over, I'm gonna remember some stuff, and then we're gonna have additional meetings. We're gonna go in and talk about off. just the title of our movie. Yes. No one's gonna see us for 36 hours, and we're gonna see a plume of smoke like we just chose the new pope. Dude, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna name it. And then you're going to be on someone else's podcast promoting it and be like, hey, I just got a text from Alex. We're changing the name. He says it's he's he's against alliteration, so we have to ditch it. Um, we've already sent the, we've already sent the files to the movie theaters, and then we have to send an addendum like 36 hours later. Like, sorry, sorry, new title, new title. Yeah, posters have been made. Trailers have already been out for weeks. I'm like. Pull it. Hate it. It's, dude, this stuff bothers me so much. Uh, let's get into the show. Um, this week, we are starting Joe December, uh, a month in which we are taking a highlight of Jodie Foster's career. Now, we are also doing what we do every year when it comes to our in-depth actor highlights is... Um, we're starting uh, this year off with the movie that we know they were in, but didn't fully understand how little of the movie they were in. Yes. So, <laughs> is Jodie Foster known for Taxi Driver? Yes. Is Taxi Driver known for Jodie Foster? Maybe not as much. She so, is critical to the movie, but not in... It, this is lame is all over again, dude. Critical to the movie, but like... 15 minutes of screen time. But if you don't want to hear us talk about this movie, you can skip to this time code right here. Time code, 30 minutes. So, I watched Taxi Driver for the first time in like 2019, I think. And I bounced off this movie hard. Okay. But, re-watching it now, um, 
I still agree with all of the opinions that I had when I was 20 and watched this movie, but now that I've watched more movies and am older, I respect this movie a lot more. So I do like this movie a lot more than I uh, than when I originally watched it, even mm. though I still don't like all the things I don't like about it. <laughs> yes. I under when people are like I don't get it or I don't like this movie, I understand. Yes. This is not one of those mo- this is a movie I think some people are obsessed with this movie. It's a masterpiece to some people. If people don't like it, you can't be like, "What? Did you did you not like, dude, you have to understand that makes sense. There are parts of this it's Way more filmy than I thought, dude. Oh, yeah, for sure. Way more um, filmy. I honestly think this might have been the movie that inspired my film versus movie breakdown theory mm-hmm. when I watched it like four years ago. Because <laughs> I remember watching this movie and being like, I'm not supposed to get entertainment out of this. I'm supposed to be getting something else. I Which, think like, this I want to make clear. Art. <laughs> Yeah, which I want to make clear is not the first time I had that realization. It's not like I turned 20 and was like, oh, wait, media can have multiple purposes. But um, so the reason what let, let's let's break it down a little bit. Robert De Niro plays our titular taxi driver. He um, is an honorably discharged Vietnam vet. And he's like 26 years old. He gets a job as a taxi driver. And um, it's basically the movie is a character study on how he views. I'm going to say specifically New York. Yeah. Um, and so he some events happen. And basically he feels like he is the only person that truly understands humanity that like he gets kind of a God complex and um, feels like there's so much scum in the streets, you know, everyone's a rat. Um, And he kind of takes it upon himself to like, try to not clean up the city. Like he's not going around like Batman, but like he definitely takes some actions that are a little uncouth in in an attempt to clean up the city. Yeah. It's also obvious this guy is mentally unstable. Yes. Serious PTSD, among other things, probably. So and like, so you the feel reason, yeah. it's all I'm like also I don't it's not it is linear storytelling, but like time is passing and you don't always know how long. So that's a little confusing. And he works yeah. the night shift, which adds a layer of not knowing what day it is, not really know what time it is, not knowing if he just came off a shift or he has to work later that night, and don't know if he's running on any sleep at all when he's interacting with people. The passage of time was not really one of my major concerns. and like I was never so confused about where we were linearly, where like it kind of where it like took me out. Um it was just something I was wondering because it wasn't clear. Sure. Like when he first runs into Jodie Foster's character, I'm like, and then he runs into her second time. I'm like, how far are these apart? And then when he runs into sure. her third time, I'm like, was this a year ago or two weeks ago? Um, And so the reason why people bounce off this movie and the reason why I bounced off this movie is because Robert De Niro plays an unlikable protagonist. Yep. You are not supposed to root for this guy. 
but the movie doesn't really tell you that you're not supposed to like this guy until like the end of the first act when you've already committed to him as a character. Um, there's a scene that I think of where um, is he running for president? Uh, yeah, the senator who's a candidate for the president. Who's running yeah, for president? So yeah, there's a presidential candidate who like whose campaign is like based in New York, and um, he gets in to Robert De Niro's taxi, and he Robert De Niro goes on this huge monologue about what I was describing about how like New York is full of filth and the people are trash and everyone sucks and society is go he goes on his big Joker society rant, and as he's doing that, I'm like, yep. All right, unlikable protagonist. I do not care what happens to him anymore. It, for me, I'm just like, this guy is a normal dude with issues. Like, I didn't, for me, that wasn't unlikable. Unlikable for me was the date gone wrong. Yes. How also, he handled that for me was just like, hey, man, I, I'm not rooting for you anymore. I'm just here to follow your story, if that makes sense. So he finds this girl he likes. Uh, her name is Betsy. She's played by a uh, Sybil Shepherd. Also gorgeous, bro. Yeah, I know I she know could legitimately she... be my mom, and probably no, she could straight up be my mom, like legit. And I'm I'm watching this. I'm like, I need to watch more Sybil Shepherd movies. Like, what are we doing? Um, I know her as Sean's mom in Psych. So oh. when I was watching this movie, I'm like. You're real familiar. <laughs> I don't know why, but I you've got an un, you've got a very recognizable face. But um he meets this girl who works at the campaign headquarters for this presidential candidate. For yes. a man his name is Palantine is his name. And um so he's like I'm going to be into politics so I could get her attention. And like Alex says, they eventually go on a date. And on this date, he takes Betsy to a porno theater because to him, those are the only movies that exist. Like to him, just going to a porno theater is like, it's just part of his day. He it's doesn't the only, understand. Only three things are open when he gets off of work. And this is one of them. And so like he didn't know that this wasn't a place where you bring someone. And so the problem that I think I had and probably you too is like, obviously Betsy freaks out and is like, this is gross. I can't believe you did this. This is weird. And she storms out on him, which like is like, yeah, I understand. Cause she's like, I don't know if this is a good idea. And he goes, don't worry about it. Just, I'm sure it'll be fine. It was not fine. And as she's storming out, like he starts grabbing her. He starts yelling yeah. at her. He like, like Alex said, it, goes wrong fast like if it it would have been one thing if he takes her to the porno theater she's like this is gross and he's like oh i'm sorry let's do something else instead but obviously this is not the kind of movie where something that rational happens yes um and so he freaks out he starts and this is when he starts obsessing yeah this is where he gets dangerous this is where like you worry about what he might do next like gen I mean I I don't mean this as like a meme or something like genuine incel behavior. Yeah, it was one of those things that like it he got the date. She it, he got he essentially got the girl. She was like there's something different about this guy. Now she didn't know that was mental illness and PTSD and just overall dangerous obsessive behavior, but she's like there's something different about this guy. 
And she realized that he became obsessive over her. And at that point, I'm like, this guy can't just move on. He's got to show up at her workplace and harass her and call her out. He's got to stalk her. Like, and then he's like, well, if I can't have you, what do you enjoy? What do you like? I'm going to go take my, my anger and angst out on that thing. Just the most inappropriate responses you could have. Yeah, like he drives his cab through the headquarters. Just straight up. <laughs> um, now, we should, we're at the point where we should talk about Jodie Foster a little bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> so Jodie Foster plays a 12-year-old prostitute. and Also, um, she's 12 when she did this movie. That's yeah, not something up. I'm used to. Um, I'm used to adults playing high schoolers. I'm used to high schoolers playing middle schoolers. But when I saw she was 12, I'm like, was she like just turned 18 so that this is appropriate? No. They just got a 12-year-old to play a 12-year-old prostitute. It is so uncomfortable. And Jodie Foster's character, um, whose name is Iris, she becomes kind of his beacon of light. Where, like, she is the representation that, like, the city is scum because it is doing things like this to girls like her. So, through a few events, the movie climaxes into um, Robert De Niro's character, whose name I haven't said yet, Travis, um, goes, he buys some guns and goes on a vigilante killing spree, killing everybody but this just comes down to like after he has an interaction with his secret service he plans on killing the candidate to get back at yeah sybil shepherd's character chickens out because turns out secret service is a little scary and he goes well if i can't kill that guy there's some bad guys down the road who are not it's like iris is kind of okay with what she's doing but like obviously not she's a 12 year old but in her head, she has rationalized what she's doing. So she doesn't want to be saved. But he's like, obviously, this is bad for her. She's been brainwashed. I have these guns. They're loaded. If I can't take it out on that guy, he just, yeah, goes full vigilante, dude. Okay. <clears throat> so here's my first big hot take of this movie. I do not like Robert De Niro in this movie. Interesting. Um, And it all comes down to... The fact that his character is very monotone. And it got to a point where, like, it felt like it was a lot of reading and less so much acting. And the scene that really made me think this is there's a scene where he's writing a, like, an annual check in card to his parents that's yeah. like, hey, happy anniversary, happy birthday. Here's everything you missed. I'm doing okay. Don't worry about me. And it's like he spends like three minutes of the movie reading this letter and his inflection does not change once. And I that was common throughout this movie where I understand it's a character choice and I'm not saying I disagree with the character choice. I'm saying that it stopped being engaging quickly. Yeah, I think I get the choice. It was a choice. This is, I think, when you get to people at the caliber of De Niro and Scorsese, you like everything is on purpose. It's just whether or not you agree with their decision. And I agree with their decision, knowing that I would not have done it that way, but that it serves the bigger story. And it's a stylistic choice that I would not have made. If I were to make this movie, it'd be a completely different movie, if that makes sense. So, like, <laughs> yeah. I understand what they're doing. 
I respect it. Um, and I think it does add to the movie because like, it's just, it's this movie's, it's supposed to be art, not entertainment. And there's a lot of people who love this movie who think this movie's entertaining. I think the, this crowd and the Joker crowd who love that movie overlap in the fact that like, they think they know who they're rooting for and they're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, when Joker came out, I, I remember a lot of the criticisms of Joker was that it felt like a rehash of Taxi Driver and King of Comedy. Yeah. Um, and after watching Taxi Driver again, um, I understand those criticisms. Yep. <laughs> like, I get it. Um, so I think this movie got nominated for four awards. Yes. Four Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, best picture De Niro got a nomination, best music for original score got a nomination and Jodie Foster got a nomination for best actress in a supporting role. And I think she set the record for the youngest Oscar nominee. And it might've also been one of the nominees with the least amount of screen time. Um, because like you said, she's not, she's in 15 minutes of this movie. Right. And like she doesn't show up to the I mean, she has um, 30 seconds appearances in the first two acts and then it's all third act. But I do want to say I get it (laughs) like she is very good in this movie. We on this podcast are very I'm going to say tuned in to kid actors. It's one of the things that we look at when we watch a movie for sure. Um, and, and she smashed it. She, she just knocked it out of the park. Um, it's one of those times where it was, this is so good. I understand why she's famous now. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so it's because like what Alex said, um, she justified, she's rationalized what she's doing. And you can see that from like the instant you meet her and like this scene where, Robert De Niro and Iris spend a lot of time together. Like she is, I don't want to call it banter because it's not like they're, they have like a witty rapport, but like she, it, it, it is a very quick and snappy conversation and it just goes by so smoothly. Mm-hmm. Like I believe everything she says as an actress and as a character. Yeah. It, um, it, I forgot she was acting. I'm like, this yeah. feels real and that it just the problem is is like it was one of the only times i got taken out of this movie because i was so uncomfortable i had to pause it i looked up her age i'm like this i I got way too in the weeds of trivia and all that stuff because i'm like this is so uncomfortable um and that's also means it was effective yeah um i will say i mean we can wrap this up a little bit but like i think the downfall of this i mean not downfall of the movie the downfall of people who watch this movie and love it. There are, there's two kinds of people. There are people who, there are two kinds of people who like this movie. The people like this movie because it's cinematic AF. The cinematography is wild. The storytelling, the direction is, I loved it. And then there's people who are like, this guy finally got his flowers at the end. He finally gets the respect he deserves. He was a mentally ill oh my God. veteran, Marine Corps veteran. And he finally gets recognized and he had a hard life. And this is, and he finally turned it around. People get the respect he deserves. I'm like, my guy. <laughs> like, especially like that aspect of like, oh, he lived a hard life. There is very little about the life that he lived that was hard. That was not inflicted by himself. Yeah. It was one of those things. I'm like, 
there's a lot of other people who are doing what you do. Like this taxi driver gave him the job because he was also a Marine Corps veteran. So there's other veteran taxi drivers who aren't harassing women and killing people and plotting, by the way, plotting to kill presidential candidates. So like, it's possible that you don't do this stuff and you're a good dude. Like, you know, it's like that old saying, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. Um, Travis reacted as wrong as possible. (laughs) In almost every situation. Um, my, I do want to say unrelated, one of my favorite scenes scenes in this movie is when Travis is buying all those guns he's going to use. And um, after he buys the gun, the salesman just starts listing like 50 other things. Like, oh, do you want some drugs? you want some weed, acid, mushrooms, yeah. LSD, uppers, downers, <laughs> uh, methamphetamines, cocaine, crack, heroin? I'm like, whoa, 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 guy, whoa, slow down. Um, but yeah, so overall, I definitely like this movie way more than I thought I was going to. Right. I went into this expecting to give one of my famous controversial F-tier ratings. But I was pleasantly surprised that like going into this movie understanding that like you are not supposed to like Travis and like it is not necessarily a mirror of society it's a mirror of this one guy mm-hmm. like that makes this movie way more enjoyable um i still have problems with it um and there's just a lot about this movie that's just like not for me um so i think i'm going to give it a flat 7 okay i like this movie um that being said I'm also giving it a flat seven because like it is art to be appreciated. And I think we've talked about this a million times. So I'll be short. Seven and eight is objectively good. Anything over eight is we're past objectively good and we're it's all subjective. So there are going to be people who give this a nine or 10. I get it. It's just not, it didn't do that for me. Um, and although this movie is beautiful i felt that there were enough flaws to give it a seven um i don't know dude this it's this is also like a very new york movie so if you live in new york this is automatically one and a half points higher for you at least like that's oh yeah it's just the thing i did think of a more concrete thing that i can talk about uh, that i didn't super love about this movie and it's the fact that i don't like any of his friends um at any scene where Travis isn't like is like at the diner talking to his friends, like I just I I did not like them very much. I just not even know I didn't um, I didn't like them. I'm just like I don't care. Yeah, for sure. Because like Travis doesn't really fit. It, like it's probably the purpose of these scenes is to like show that like there are people he knows and he hangs out with, but he still does not fit in with them. Right. He is a social outcast. He cannot relate to the quote common man. Um, yet he feels like he represents the common man. But, and I feel like that was one of those things that those friendship scenes, the scenes with his friends were supposed to help illuminate. Right. But I just, they were all just sitting in a diner, just jabber jawing. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Yeah, it was, I just don't, I think the reason it's not an eight for me is because I don't want to watch it again. Sure. And there's like, usually if I don't want to watch a movie again, it's way lower, like a four. 
but I don't regret watching this movie. It's just like one of those things like I would I want to watch it with a movie who loves it like you want to do with After Sun. I want to be around another person who's obsessed with this movie and then maybe their love for it will rub off on me. But like right now, it's a good movie. I might even say a great movie that I don't want to watch again. All right. Are we ready to move on? Yeah, let's do it. All right. We're going to move on to our improv segment. This is a segment called, um, and how is that going to help? So this is a this is where we do a scene where there is a problem, and we come up with out of the box solutions to those problems, and we have to find ways to justify how that solution is going to work. Beautiful. All right. Yeah. So um, I have a scene in mind. Okay. Um, Rockstar offices, uh, Monday, December fourth, <laughs> at approximately five p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay. If you don't know what happened at that time, you'll catch on real quick. <laughs> All right. Uh, hey, uh, can you just like look over the final touches on the trailer? Yeah, sure, man. Dude, I'm so excited we finally get to put something out to the public. I think maybe tomorrow as a We've team, been working- we should like nine o'clock tomorrow. We all gather around and watch as it goes live. Kind of like like a NASA rocket launch. Yeah, Dude, we could do the whole um, countdown and everything. I'm so, I'm just so proud we finally got this project going. We can acknowledge that it's in production. We have a oh the trailer leaked. What? What uh, did you say? Oh the trailer. Um, someone leaked the entire trailer in full HD. How do they get it? I don't know. Um. Uh, I don't even, it, it's just kind of coming in from everywhere. Do you think we could, um, do you th- Pop Crave has posted it. Uh, everybody, uh, literally everyone is posting the leak trailer right now. Should we sue? Uh, th- um, do we have the power to sue someone that quickly? I mean, I feel like we want it wrapped up by like 9am tomorrow, right? Well, how do we get it pulled? Do you think we can copyright it? Um, I don't know if the algorithms are going to work that fast. Plus it's the Twitter algorithm. There's no way Twitter. Have, have you ever seen a successful copyright claim on Twitter? So I watched somebody post the entire SpongeBob movie and I watched it. All of <laughs> you it. Wa- you, you're part of the problem. Um, well, what should uh, we, should yeah. we, uh, um, maybe we can get it marked can as we, explicit. Like, hire an assassin. I mean, yeah, what you said, what you said. You say assassin. Um, uh, no, I said, um, what I said the same thing you said. Right. So maybe if we maybe we can get it marked as explicit, take it down for a review, and then we can post the actual version that we've obviously cleared. Yeah. Um. Okay. Or hear me out. We just post the trailer early ourselves. Why would we do that? Well, I, I mean, like, I know we worked really hard on that graphic to showcase what time the trailer was going live, but like, it's already out there. We may as well be getting all the revenue from the ads, right? Do people run like ads on a 90 second trailer? I mean, yeah, I have a mid roll in there too. Oh, does this feel like it this should be our department making this decision? Ad, so listen. I just want to make sure that you understand how we're making money off this thing. Okay. Yeah. There's an ad at the beginning. Yep. There's a mid roll ad. And then right before the release window at the end of the trailer, we play a HelloFresh ad. On a 90-second trailer. Well, the trailer's 45 seconds. The HelloFresh ad, they they required a 45-second copy. Well, uh, uh, is the the person who leaked it, are they getting paid for this? Um, I mean, oh, hold on. I'm checking their TikTok. They have 1.5 million followers on TikTok now. They, uh, they are incredibly famous. Great. Um... Do you think we could track them? Can we dox them and then like swap their house or something? You know what? I'm feeling a little less insecure about my assassin suggestion from a little earlier now. So since we've decided that harm is okay. But the thing is, is like, um, here's the thing with swatting them. 
what they did is illegal. So like, well, at, when you put it that way, <laughs> at the very at most, it's a little excessive. But like, we're not swatting so, someone uh, innocent. Yeah, we should. I think it would be a very great social media clap back if we just post their IP address on Twitter. I think we should have post their IP, their name, where they work, their address, and then probably like if we can. If we can get their social security number, I'm posting it. Yeah, 100%. We should tank their credit, bro. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to open up so many credit cards in their name. That's what we need to do. They need to have an absurd <laughs> amount of subscription services that they don't know how to close. And Yeah. Oh, and the first one we subscribe them to is GTA Plus, obviously. Obviously. Um, I don't know, man. This just feels, I don't know. I feel like we should be doing something. And just putting out the trailer early feels a little lame, you know? It feels it forced. It does. It does. Okay, but hear me out. Hear me out. The The person that leaked it is probably like 14. They weren't going to have good credit to start with. Maybe we just need to accept the passive plan. I just want to... Do you think we do could, wanna, like... If they're 14, do you think we could give them, like... Hey. Expelled or... Do you want to go... At, do you want to go egg his house? Listen, I think it's supposed to rain tomorrow if you want to teepee it. Let's teepee the house. I'll go I'll go to Costco and get the big batch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, um, I don't know if that's textbook uh, and how is that going to help, but it was effective. I also like to think that that was the exact conversation that happened. Just two guys in an office being like, what just happened? <laughs> Yeah. Um, All right, Alex. Yes. What do we have for our middle? As segment? discussed last week, Jerry Seinfeld has a book out called "Is This Is This Anything." Um, I thought it was a memoir slash biography. I mean, kinda. There's like 40 pages in here that have that. However, this book is 450 pages long. Uh, it came out in 2020, and he's got jokes from the 70s, 80s, 90s. He calls it the double O's and then the teens. So I'm going to pull a joke from each one of these and we're just going to talk about it because that's what this entire book is. It's just jokes. That's it. So this one's called pajamas. And I'm super sorry, Jerry, if I meet you in the future, like, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. You know, you know what I mean? This is all for comedy. I'm not <laughs> pajamas. And this, you know, this could just be my delivery, but I'm not going to do a Jerry Seinfeld impression. So this is me reading his book, trying to emulate comedy. Pajamas. I don't know why the suit projects this image of power. Why is it intimidating? We'd do better what this guy says. We'd better do what this guy says. His pants match his jacket. Men love the suit so much, we've actually styled our pajamas to look like a very tiny suit. Three buttons down the front, the little lapels, breast pocket. What's that for? You put a pencil in there. Roll over in the middle of the night, you kill yourself. Okay, Greg. That joke's from the 70s. Yeah, uh-huh. When did they stop? When did people stop wearing pajamas with lapels? I feel like I feel like people save their lapeled pajamas for Christmas these Dude, days. Same thing. It's like that and like bachelorette parties <laughs> when everyone's wearing wearing matching pajamas. Like it's only yeah, for, for sure. the event. Also, um, Jerry, your joke from the seventies of all the clothes that you could have made fun of, you chose pajamas. I think he was just thinking of something where the shirt matches the pants. It's just like, yeah, yeah I get that they're related. And the punchline is you kill yourself, which, albeit hilarious. Who doesn't love a good suicide joke? <laughs> um, I'm just saying it's, it's a bit of a stretch. And dare I say, not funny. 
<laughs> this is listen comedy is subjective you know it is and that could be funny to some people and reading jokes and not performing them is also not funny and reading jokes from the 70s 50 years later is also not funny but i would like to see that in its ideal environment and see how well it performs any other thoughts craig yeah so I think this is probably going to be a, a theme that we see throughout all of Seinfeld's material. The whole premise of Seinfeld as a comedian is that he kind of staked his claim on being the most relatable comedian. Yeah. It's like he, he created observation humor. And so, like, he jokes about the mundane. Like, that's his playground is making normal things funny. Pajamas are perhaps a little too normal. <laughs> well, wait to hear this. Okay, so we're going to move on to the 80s. This one's called Distance by Time. You can measure distance by time. How far away is that place? About 20 minutes. But it doesn't work the other way. When do you get off work? About three miles. That's the joke. Oh, that was it. That, that was it. That was the That's end. That's a joke. Okay. Um, yes, it was. It, that was, in fact, the joke. So that is a... I'm going to say maybe the meanest thing I've ever said in my entire life. That is a great joke to perform to elementary schoolers to teach them what stand-up comedy is. Yes. That is like, what's a quick, how do you do stand-up comedy? Well, you notice something, you relate it to something else, find something, find an analogy or find the funny in it. And then you tell the punchline. And the thing is, is it has to be something most people haven't noticed. Now, here's the thing. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. That's from the 80s, right? A lot of distance by time jokes have been made. Like, that's a big American thing, especially Midwest, but definitely a big American thing. Um, so maybe we've been desensitized because we've just been around it for so much. But um, I feel like there could have been more to it. Like, about three miles. Like, there's... you. There's got to be more to that joke, right? Like than just flipping it. Yeah. Uh huh. Like, uh, just I mean, just all the, I mean, we're gives. brains. So it's like, can you imagine being like, it, well, how big is his penis? Mm, about seven minutes. Like this gives the same energy as like, have you ever wondered why we drive on parkways and park on driveways? Exactly, dude. Exactly. It's just like flipping it can't. That's an. It's an observation. It's a high thought, but it it's not the joke. And flipping it isn't always the joke. Because sometimes it's just like, that's. I feel like that's the default. It's what everyone does. All right, we'll see if it gets better yeah, in the 90s. Sure. This one's called Mad Cow. This is peak Seinfeld, by the yeah, way. Yeah, this is 90s. in the middle of his show. What I love about the Mad Cow disease is we, of course, attempt to blame it on the cow. It's not our fault these cows are crazy. They're nuts. They're out of their minds. We show them sliding down these slippery ramps all out of control and the cows are probably oh sure you're drinking me eating me wearing me sneaking up on me tipping me over and i'm the one who's off <sighs> okay that is pretty funny the idea of listing a bunch of reasons why cows could just be generally upset uh, that, that's a good playground that's a good playground i like well, that <laughs> i was about to compare it to the bee movie of just like why bees would be upset with honey and i'm like oh yeah that was that was jerry seinfeld <laughs> That was literally his movie. Yeah. <laughs> I think I I get the joke. I think it could be cleaner. I mean, yeah. So, but, I mean. Are these jokes that. These are jokes he writes down every joke, highly organized on yellow legal pad paper. And he's revisited them um, and put them in a book. So, 
He's performed, I would say, know? most of these, but we don't know. Okay. These probably didn't make a special. We don't know how refined these are. Yeah, so, like, I don't want to go in on jokes that, like, have legs. But, yeah, but so the premise is good. Up for but it's a special. Not, yeah, okay, I got you. And that's what this joke is. This joke is, this is a good bit, but I am, if I were to guess, it was probably between this joke and a different joke for a special, and he chose a different joke. Right. The premise is clear, and I like it. Um, that's tricky part. I can't put myself in his shoes. Hey guys, I is this do- funny when we talk when we um break down joke this is, structure? Is that this funny? This is funny. Here's the thing. I love it when comedians <laughs> do this. This is like so inside comedy, breakdown comedy, but I know ninety percent of people could not care less. They are skipping to the one hit. Yeah. This is the worst part of the podcast. For some people, this is the worst <laughs> part of the podcast. And for some people and for other people, they're like, they need to do this every week. This could be a separate podcast. Hey, it is a separate podcast. A lot of other people have podcasts that they yeah, all say, they hey, do is break hey, down jokes. That, <laughs> I was going to say, hey, if you're the kind of person where this is your favorite part of the podcast, let me recommend you some different podcasts. Yeah. Hey, I don't think you actually like our podcast. I think you want us to be something else that we're not. It's like when your mom wants to get, a, get have you get a real job and be like, I don't think you know me. This is not really what we do. Um, so uh. double O's, he says. This one's called Cold Beer. I like how the coldness thing drives the beer people crazy. The commercials are always frost brewed, cold filtered, ice bottled. We pack, we pack it on a glacier, then put it on a frozen truck driven by a polar bear. We're not transplanting a kidney. You're just trying to get drunk. Relax. It's going to work. So I think what I'm realizing is a lot of Jerry Seinfeld should have been a podcaster because like he's got a take the, on like, everything. Well, and also these bits, I think, serve a a lot of like back and forth banter, like to, like all these jokes that that have like multiple examples of like things that you can do to make a cow mad, and uh, all the extraneous things that water bottle companies put on. Like those are all things that like if it was introduced as a bit, more than one person can go in on it. Right. Um, it's tricky because this is kind of the joke writing process, right? You're just thinking of ideas and then you would run them by your friend and then just pull the funniest parts. But also like we are getting comedy in the worst form. I hate, I hate reading funny books. They're never funny to me. (laughs) I never laugh at books. It like never happens. I know other people can because they'll read it in their voice or read it in either read it in the author's voice or read it in their voice. And it's still funny. Or like memes, like memes can be funny, but those also have images. Like it's hard to do. Um, this is one of those things I'm like, this might be funny, just not like this. It'd be funnier in almost every other form. It'd be funnier in a scene, like a skit. It'd be funnier on stage. It'd be funnier in a podcast. I think this is just the worst way to do it. Um, did you ever have to write comedy in high school or like for an English class? I don't think so. I've only. I think I've, I've had to do two. Yeah, I've only. And performed it's definitely it. weird. Mm-hmm. It's definitely weird to have like had to write a humor essay for English class and then be like, "Wow, I sure hope this fifty-year-old middle-class woman likes the jokes that a fifteen-year-old came up with." Good luck. Yeah, I've written scripts and I've written speeches. I've d- straight up performed stand-up for people. 
Um, I didn't call it stand up when I was doing it. It was just a speech that was obviously stand up. Um, but I've never just been like, here, read my jokes. That's never happened to me because it just it's not the same. All right. Last one. This is the teens. It's called knife through a shoe. I like infomercials. I like that there's a time of night when your brain stops to fun stops to function and the products start making sense. I don't think I have a knife that can cut through a shoe. I better get this number down. What if I decide I want to cut my shoes up? How am I going to do it? What if I get a knot in one of those laces that I can't undo? I might not be able to get out without one of those knives. Um, That's not even a Seinfeld joke, I don't think. That's a joke anybody could have come up with. Yeah. Um. It's... I honestly, I really, I got nothing on that one. Like, okay, it's... That is how I would react if I was having a conversation with someone and they were like, why do I even need a knife to cut through my shoe? What would I, what would I ever need to cut through my shoe for? I'd be like, yeah, crazy, man. Yeah. It's just one of those things like when they do something in infomercial and be like, no one's actually that clumsy. You're like, you're right. And then you move on. <laughs> uh, so sorry, Jerry. Um, uh, you made a really good TV show. Yeah. Your TV show. Take pride in that. Impressive. <laughs> Your comedy career, amazing. Acting, voice acting, pretty impressive. And then uh, you're also an author, so. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You do that thing. Uh, All right. This is our one-hit wonder. Um, This is a very simple one-hit wonder, and we'll probably move through it pretty quickly. Um, This is a segment called Cleaning House, and I kind of want us to do, like, an in-our-head house tour, and, like... I want to describe how we would judge someone if their house was or was not clean in these areas. So I think let's like do like a walking tour. So you go in, you're in the foyer, you're in the standing room, you're in the shoe deposit. Like what is like the kind of like clutter where you're like, uh, like instant bad vibes. Um, Well, I'll tell you what's not shoes piled up. Dirty, not dirty, everyone's shoes mixed together does not bother me. Not at all. That's yeah. no problem. Um, Especially if you're having like a lot of people yeah. over. Does not bother me. Jackets on a pile on a bench on the floor does not bother me. A leash, doggy, baggies, all that stuff so you can walk your dog does not bother me. Now, where it gets a little dicey is when I see packages that were brought inside but not opened. What psychopath like- orders something? brings it inside and doesn't open it that bothers me so much i'm like this person is is either rich or will never be like this it bothers me so much i'm like do you just disregard the things you just purchased you thought this was a good idea 48 hours ago and you don't you're not going to open it and you have guests coming over and you're not going to open it that's wild to me dude okay so let's move into let's move into the into the living room. I feel I feel like the living room is, I would say, middle of the road in terms of whether or not it's okay to be cluttered with people over. Because like it's the living space. I'm not gonna judge anyone for not having that constantly. Clean. I don't. But it does get to a point where it's. Yeah, for me, there's like three things that bother me in the living room. Everything else can go. One is old food left out. Like just yeah, just. Put it in the kitchen, you know, put it in the sink, put it in the dishwasher, just clean that up. Two is dog fur, any animal fur that sticks to my clothes. Like it can be around, 
But if I sit on the couch and it sticks to me, I'm just like, hey, you could just vacuum this up. Don't even vacuum the floor. If it sticks to my socks, I don't care. But like my shirt. And then the biggest one is if there's just stuff on the couch. Like there's no, there's nowhere for me to sit because there's a backpack there. Yes. Or someone's oh, got like a wow, pile yeah. of movies. Or especially around the holidays, there'll be like presents that they just opened on there, still in the package. And you're like, do I just put these on the ground to sit down? Because you just got these. But like, So here is my living room pet peeve. And this isn't even like a cleanliness thing. It is a purposeful decoration choice. And it's couch throw pillows. If you're going to keep a pillow on the couch, it must be functional. Yes. If it is a decorative couch pillow, no. This, when people come over, move it to a bedroom. Just like, you, this couch is about to be used. The decorative is not, a lot of times, dude, it doesn't even feel like a pillow. It doesn't feel like a pillow, which means either the person that's using it is going to hate it, or it ends up on the floor. Yep, yep. It's so um, uncomfortable. Let's move, let's move on to the kitchen. Um... Literally, dude, I do not is... care about kitchens because, like, a lot of times you go to people's houses, it like, especially if it's a party, it's just buffet. Every inch of the table, every inch of the counter will just have food on it. You just walk around, pick what you want. But yeah. the thing is... Um, I think my general yeah. thing for kitchens mm-hmm. is, like, as long as there's not a smell. Yes. Smells, flies, and a... Like, if there's stuff in the sink, that's fine. But, like, as long as there's enough room for me to take a cup and put it under the faucet, that's fine. Yeah, I just, like, when I'm done eating, I need a place to put it. That's all That's all I need. If if it's in the sink, that's fine. If it's on the counter, that's fine. If it's a paper plate and I can throw it away, great. But, like, don't make me leave it somewhere because I don't know where it goes. Yeah. Um. And then we'll do the last one here. If we're lucky enough to make it to the bedroom, um, I people are asking why we didn't do bathrooms. Really well, bathrooms are just gross inherently. There's just make sure they're clean. Yeah, just make sure they're clean. Um, bedrooms are tough because I I come at this from a different angle where like I have effectively lived in my bedroom for three years, where like my bedroom is like my only space to have literally all of my stuff. Yeah. So like clutter and whatnot i'm like super whatever again like as long as there's not a smell like i'll put up with most of it dude i feel like most of my bedroom stuff it's clothes on the floor blankets on the floor pillows on the floor those are the three things i don't care what state they're in hanging up on the ground in a dresser on top of the dresser do not care your bed's made not made don't care as long as what's white is supposed to be white that's fine what I don't like seeing is white sheets that aren't white. I don't even care if I'm sleeping over. <laughs> I don't care if I'm sleeping over. I just don't like stains. So if you decided one night to drink in your room and you spilled Kool-Aid or whatever, that stain has to go. Literally don't care about anything else. Just like stains, odors, were. if it's not those, we're good. Dude, I could be walking on clothes and it doesn't bother me. Yeah, um... I will never forget the time that I was <laughs> – I went over to a friend's house over the summer back in high school, and they had just gotten, a, like, a puppy. And I, wa- <laughs> I watched the puppy walk into her room, stand over some clothes, and just piss. Oh, my and- gosh. And she was like so embarrassed by it, and I'm like, I know it was kind of funny. It's <laughs> like, not my stuff. <laughs> um, but that's cleaning house. Um, 
we've set the bar and it's on the ground. Um, I can't imagine where for, we're going to go to your guys' house, though. I don't see us being like heading to a fan's place now. <laughs> yeah. That would be weird. Okay, so moving into free ball, and we got a lot to cover today. Yes. Um, I watched Saltburn. Interesting. This was so. This is a movie that is directed by Emerald Fennell, yep. who is the same director for Promising Young Woman, and it stars. Um, Barry Keoghan and Jacob Elordi. Um, I have been on record saying that I don't like Barry Keoghan and I only have heard of Jacob Elordi from Euphoria. So I wasn't <laughs> exactly sold on this movie on its based on its cast. So um, the basic thing that I want to say, this is one of those movies where the less you know, the better. It is a dark romance that takes a pretty steep twist so um basically this movie is about um barry keoghan and jacob alordi's characters both go to oxford together jacob alordi is super rich and barry keoghan is super not and um Barry Keoghan uh, develops a crush on Jacob Elordi. They kind of start flirting at school. And then when the semester ends, Jacob Elordi is like, hey, why don't you come stay with my family over break? Because, you know, you aren't good with your family. We'll treat you well. It'll be fun. And so the first act of the movie is them at school. And then acts two and three are at the estate. It's called the Saltburn Estate. And... I do want to say, um, Jacob Elordi is really hot in this movie. Okay. Just like straight up. Yep. Like it's one of those movies where like as soon as he gets introduced as a character, I'm like, oh, I understand why he's the romantic interest. I totally get it. I mm -hmm. see it. I see it. Um, I really liked Barry Keoghan in this movie. Dude, I love Barry Keoghan in everything which, he's in, but I'm, I'm so glad you liked him in this movie. And I don't want to go too much into detail about it, but it is a dark romance and it's also a dark comedy. Okay. And and those aspects blend very well together. So, like, I was, like, kicking my feet, like, oh, this is a really cute moment. And it also takes some twists and turns along the way to keep you engaged. So, I liked it um, probably, like, a seven and a half. Who is this movie for? Um, What a great question. <laughs> it is Baby's First Weird Movie. Okay. Yeah. It is... No, if you have watched weird movies before, this is not a weird movie. Gotcha. If you've only seen Euphoria and you're watching this because it's a Jacob Elordi movie, this is a weird movie. <laughs> okay. Sweet, dude. Well, I went on a little um, De Niro kick after Taxi Driver. Okay. So I watched The King of Comedy. Okay. Let me tell you, you don't need to watch The Joker if you watch this movie. It is, dude, it is not necessary. These movies have like a 70% overlap. It's insane the overlap they have. To the point where like watching the Joker is a spoiler for this movie. <laughs> it's wild. This movie came out. In Hold on. Can I ask? Yeah. So spoilers for both Joker and King of Comedy, I guess. Yeah. Because the end of Joker is finding out that the woman that he's been spending time with was never... Uh, or was an imagination effectively. Mm -hmm. Is that also what happens in the King of Comedy? Like he just makes up a person's relationship with him? Mm, yeah. But like, okay. so he's right, in this, cool. he's making up a relationship with the talk show host. 
talk with the talk show host. Oh, he's like, okay. we're, he's telling everyone we're super close. He's going to let me on the show. He's going to let me on the show. He loves my stuff to the point where he's showing up to the dude's house, inviting himself oh, inside. Cool. And the guy's like, get out of here. He's showing up to his office every single day being like, hey, I have an appointment. We're best friends. We're buddies. It just and he's, he's met this guy once. He's met him once. They share a, a car ride together. He's like, oh, we're best friends now. And then instead of killing the talk show host like in the Joker, he kidnaps him in this. I'm like, cool. And they do stand. And, he, and on that talk show host uh, in the Joker, he's performing live. On this, he kidnaps him, holds him ransom so that he can perform stand up on the show. And both of them, the dude is severely mentally ill. Like it's obvious. Like there's just a couple. It's like you feel bad. Like. He's obviously imagining his relationships with people. He just is just not clicking and you can see it. So you don't really see it through his lens. You're like, I see what's going on. This guy just doesn't get it. Um, um, was it good? Yeah, it was really good. The, th- the thing is, is like, if you've watched the Joker, this is like, it feels like these are like, this is the prequel. This came out in the seventies, dude. And it feels like these movies are related. It's also weird that this is a Scorsese movie. I'm like, wow, did this this guy's got range. It's awesome that De Niro's um, in it. Um, <laughs> Have you ever heard Martin Scorsese talk about the King of Comedy? No. So the King of Comedy came out in December of '82. Okay. And I'm pretty sure, at least. And uh, I think yep, it was 82. E News. I think it was like E News. Like absolutely roasted it. Like say, calling it like the biggest flop of the year. Um, and like the big, like the most under, um, well, most underwhelming movie. And any time the King of comedy gets brought up around Martin Scorsese, he always brings up that review and he still got beef with it. Like it's, he's very protective of the King of comedy. And anytime it gets brought up, he's like, well, this reviewer didn't like it, and now it's become a critically acclaimed success. So, uh, who won now, buddy? It's very funny to watch him talk about yeah, it. Yeah, he also like he's obviously he loves this movie. He thinks that this is De Niro's best performance he ever got from him. He's like, this is this is my favorite De Niro movie. Um, um I'll have to circle around to it. It's then, on YouTube I, with uh, ads. Because oh, rock on, and I have premium, so it won't have ads. Sweet dude, yeah, <laughs> definitely worth the watch. Uh, it's crazy how much the Joker, I, I want to say stole from this, but like inspired does not stress it enough. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> Did you want to give it a rating? Uh, seven and a half. All right. Rock on. Yeah. Um, I watched Ghost in the Shell, the Scarlett Johansson one. Yep. <laughs> now, if you recall, I also watched the original Ghost in the Shell like a month ago. Um, So it's fresh in the mind. And I saw this movie when it came out in theaters in 2017. I saw it with my partner at the time. And I remember walking out of that auditorium because I had only seen the original Ghost in the Shell movie once. And I, like, didn't really understand it. So when I left this theater, I was like, you know what? It, was a, it wasn't a great adaptation, but I still had fun with it. Um, after rewatching it, um, no, wrong, incorrect, bad. Wow. Um. Any positive morsel that I held on to this movie for like playing devil's advocate, giving it the benefit of the doubt, I rescind all of it, <laughs> literally all of it. So the original Ghost in the Shell is like 80 minutes. And I'm not joking when I say 
10 to 15 minutes of it is us looking at city skylines with cool music playing in the background. Wow. So trying to make an hour 45 Hollywood blockbuster off of a movie that has effectively an hour of legitimate content is a, is a difficult feat. So I want to meet the movie where it's at when it comes to that. However, every single choice that they made to expand the story of Ghost in the Shell was the wrong choice to make. It was not an expansion of the universe. It was a complete rewrite of the source material. And that's just me complaining about it as an adaptation. Um, the As a movie part, it just makes it boring. Scarlett Johansson is super melodramatic in this movie, and I do not like the way that she plays the major. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like none of the characters were interesting. I just I couldn't engage with anybody. Now, stylistically, this movie is also bad um, <laughs> because Scarlett Johansson's suit looks cool at first and then they do a close-up shot of it and you see the awful neckline that it has and you're like oh never mind never mind oh, actually geez, dude. um and as far as the action scenes go they do this really cool thing where they make the action look bad um <laughs> <laughs> and so when you're using slow-mo in an action scene, you have two choices. You either do the slow-mo before the point of of contact to um, really emphasize when the hit is happening, or you let the hit land and then you do a slow-mo on the reaction. Right. Like if you're punching somebody in the face, you can slow down right when the hit happens and you slow-mo like all the teeth falling out and nonsense. This movie made up a secret third option, which was to activate the slow-mo after the reaction already happened. So like somebody's already midair and then they slow down. And I'm like, guys, I don't know what's happening. Oh, jeez, dude. So this movie sucks. It is a three out of ten. Yo. Do not watch it. Oh, my gosh. Oh, what? You thought I was going to give a review like that and be like, ah, seven and a half. That's insane. <laughs> you don't give out three out of tens often. So I get surprised every once no. in a while. Um, I watched About My Father, another De Niro movie. Um, yeah. Starring Sebastian Maniscalco. I'm just like, I'm trying to give comedians, you know, every opportunity to be successful. This is a rom-com with a heavy theme on, you know, father's acceptance. It is exactly what you think you're getting. I think the only things that were a little weird is that in this, in real life, he has kids. But in this, he's like, um, he plays Sebastian Maniscalco, but he's not a comedian in this. So he's not famous. He's a restaurant manager. And is w- that is my least favorite thing. I hate it when comedians have to like they want to hold on to their name in the movie. Right. But don't want to hold on to their character. See, that's what I liked about Burt Kreischer's movie is he's Burt Kreischer comedian base. And yeah. he told the story and then they it's it's just assuming it takes place right now in his life. This is like kind of my life, but not really my life, because like in this movie, his father is a sicilian immigrant who comes over and he's a first generation american and then in this same thing and in the movie he's getting married to a rich person and i think in this 
and in real life also true but he just like oh he's runs he's a manager in a hotel in chicago and in real life he's from chicago and he's always wanted to do that he just doesn't and i think in real life his father is actually a hairdresser and in the movie is actually the only difference is he didn't want to be a comedian in this movie or rich um, cause that's it kind of a major like this device. Guy just wanted to make Seinfeld. It was just like <laughs> this like, is yeah. On. It's extremely predictable. It is funny, but it's it's as textbook and predictable as it gets. De Niro is great. Uh, Maniscalco is great, but like I feel like sometimes his stand-up presence comes out a little too strong. Um, so let me ask you this: Would you recommend this movie to someone who is unfamiliar with his? content yeah it's just a rom-com and getting your dad to accept you for who you are or who you're going to be but it is just a little okay. weird because in real life i think sebastian's like 50 and in this movie uh, you Whoa. assume or like 48 47 and then the same thing in this movie except like rom-coms when you're that old and you've never been married before like these people aren't divorced i'm just like i guess that happens in real life but it's not often that two people in their upper 40s are meeting and getting married and you're meeting her and then you're meeting her parents and getting along with their parents. Like this is like twenties and thirties. So it's a little atypical yeah. that way. So that was kind of weird and they don't have any kids or anything like that. And she's like still trying to get her parents approval. I'm like, you guys are in your forties. You guys were born in the seventies. Like what's, I don't get it. Um, it's just a normal movie, dude. Super normal. All right. I'm going to give it a five because it's a normal movie. Maybe a five I and a half because it, it is kind of funny. I watched Godzilla minus one. Oh, geez. So this is a Godzilla. This is a Japanese Godzilla movie, right? Yep. They, they, they got it. They got it back. Um, And so this movie takes place at the end of and in the aftermath of World War Two. And it's about this kamikaze pilot who bailed at the last minute. Okay. And um, makes a pit stop at a repair island. And while he's on this repair island, Godzilla attacks and kills everybody on the island but him and one other person. And the reason why he survives is because he was sent out to be a distraction for Godzilla, but didn't distract Godzilla. Chose not to. Chose not to, dude. And um, so he goes back to mainland Japan and now has to carry the weight of being a being a coward kamikaze pilot and being a coward for not distracting Godzilla. Except people don't know about that second one because everybody that was on the island is died. Yeah. Um, and so it's a, I really liked the the human story of this movie because. The movie is about like learning to live with your grief and moving forward anyway. Like the movie does not like take a pro kamikaze stance. Okay. Despite how I like despite how I despite how I, you know, have set this up. But the movie is about like overcoming those mindsets of not always sacrificing yourself to get to the end goal. Like literally you do not have to kill yourself to win this war. Right. Um, now, as far as Godzilla goes, Godzilla big, he shoot laser, destroy city. I mean, I don't know what more you want, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, what I learned about this movie and what this movie does very well is Godzilla is a way cooler sea monster than land monster. Mm-hmm. 
And so a lot of the Godzilla action scenes happen in the ocean and they are way cooler because of it. Um, At the end of the day, it is a disaster movie and I still have a lot of reservations about disaster movies. However, if you have never watched a Godzilla movie before, easily start with this one. Oh my God, this movie is like, it is the Godzilla movie. Wow. Um, when did it come out? So uh, uh, last week. Oh, th- last week, and it's the Godzilla movie. Yeah, I yeah. Sorry, I didn't clarify that. Yeah, this is a new a new Godzilla movie. Okay. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, everyone I watched it with enjoyed it as well. Um, like I would say seven point seven five. Whoa. Okay, dude. Well, I'll wrap mine up with some stand up as per usual. Um. I watched Mike Birbiglia's Old Man in the Pool and Pete Holmes' uh, I'm Not For Everybody or Not For Everybody. Birbiglia, dude, I freaking love both these guys and I don't, it's going to sound like I'm dissing them because I enjoyed both of these. I laughed during both of these. And Birbiglia's is like, this sounds like a diss. It's it's like every other Birbiglia special. If you liked the old ones, you'll love this one. If you didn't like the old ones, you're not going to like this one. It's Mike Birbiglia doing Mike Birbiglia stuff. Um, I think the central theme would be him dealing with mortality because he's big on themes. Um, it's well-structured, um, and I enjoyed it. I, I, I also like how it's not like so kid centric. I think that's what like more of the, what the new one was like his, his special called the new one. This is just, just about death. Very easy watch. I, I enjoyed it, but it's like every other one. I'll get a seven. I, I honestly enjoyed it. Pete Holmes, Mike Propiglia's top three friends. Uh, he has a special on Netflix yeah. produced by a bunch of people, including Bill Burr. If you don't know who Pete Holmes is, you probably would know him by his Batman sketches or um, from Dark Knight Rises. He did one where like Batman got stabbed and he did a long drawn out response to that. And then he's he, he does a lot of impressions and he's very funny. I liked his special a lot, dude. He, this is like a good special that covers like 10 different topics. So if you don't like what he's saying, wait five minutes and he'll talk about something else. It's very funny. It's, um, it's not clean and, but, um, cause he's swearing and there's like a couple raunchy pockets that make you uncomfortable, but you can tell he's like, the whole point is to be funny. Like it's not the special isn't about sex. He just talks about it in a couple spots. He talks about a bunch of other stuff too. But like it's it's just good, bro. I enjoyed it a lot. I think it's top three of the year. I think top three that puts me at um Shane Gillis number one. I would say this is number two, and then Tom Segura's special uh, special Sledgehammer is number three. But it's it's if you like Berbiglia but don't like how he's like low energy sometimes. You just like the high energy parts, then it's Pete Holmes all the way, dude. It's it's so I liked it a lot, and it's an easy special. Um, yeah, easy special to watch. I enjoyed it a lot. Highly recommend. Good on yeah. Netflix. All right, next week as we continue into Joe December, we are watching The Accused. Now we made a realization today 
while setting up our the rest of our monthly program is that Jodie Foster does not really appear in um light movies. <laughs> so as we go into the accused and then Silence of the and then Silence of the Lambs later on in the month, tread with caution. Yeah, if That's you get if say. you get yeah if you get triggered by some stuff, you might just want to look up these movies ahead of time and you will or have faith that we'll recap yeah or just be like don't watch the movie and maybe our podcast is enough and don't worry we have like an intermission where we do a holiday movie so like you can catch a breather but i mean more of that next week but until then my name is craig wells aka permanent hand and i'm alex good aka alex good have fun be safe and make your choices and while you're at it tell your mama said hi see you next week deuces